Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, mom. Black and gross. What was dad like? His beard was scratchy. He had a goofy laugh. I wish I'd met him. I have something for you from your dad. It's a wizard staff. I wrote this spell so I could see for myself who my boys grew up to be. This spell brings him back. Back like back to life? She wanted to meet you more than anything. Holy tooth of Zadar! How did you... I don't know! It just started! Hang on! Dad? Just don't top part! Dad! You are in your house! Oh, boy! We've only got 24 hours to bring back the rest of Dad. We're going on a quest. All quests start with the Manticore, the fearless adventurer. You mean Cory? She's over there. Quick, somebody help me. These Griffin Nuggets were supposed to go out minutes ago. That's the Manticore? You guys are in trouble big time. Get in the vehicle. I'm escorting you home. I'm giving you to the count of three. Uh, okay. Wait, what are you doing? I don't know. Oh, I'm looking for my sons. Oh, they went on a quest. But don't worry, I told them about the map, I told them about the gym, I told them about the curse. <gasps> I forgot to tell them about the curse! The what? <gasps> Your boys are in grave danger! Hold on! <laughs> How do your boys do in a crisis? Oh no! We're dead, we're dead, we're dead! Not great! <laughs> I can't do it. We're not gonna see you, Dad. You can do this. I believe in you. Knows where to go, don't you, boy? Yes, you do. <laughs> I am on my way, boys. Just stay out of trouble. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Onward, and the story is as follows Two teenage elf brothers, Ian and Barley Lightfoot, go on a journey to discover if there is still a little magic left out there in order to spend one last day with their father, who died when they were too young to remember him. The film is starring Tom Holland, Chris Pratt. Julia Louise Dreyfus, Octavia Spencer. It is written and directed by Dan Scanlon, co-written by Jason Headley and Keith Boonin. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Hello, hello to you, sir. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. I'm very happy to be talking about another Pixar film. Yeah, right? Pixar, as we have said a couple of times here on the podcast, has an extremely impressive track record, so much so that even when they crank out a movie that is not necessarily up to the par of one of their masterpieces like Toy Story 3, Up, Wally, you know, they still are pretty damn good because that bar is just set so high. So even their most average release is typically worthy, at least, of being a Best Animated Feature Oscar contender. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with Onward especially, I think the thing that got me a lot with this one was, to be honest with you, I wasn't really that appealed, you know, by the cast. Uh, Tom Holland, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because he's playing Spider-Man, and as a result of which, when I hear his voice, um, I, I just think of Spider-Man because a lot of times he's doing voiceover work behind the mask. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a you know disconnect there sometimes, I feel like, with him. And Chris Pratt, uh, I, I will admit, I'm not the biggest Chris Pratt fan. I just don't think he's that great of an actor. I think he's got charisma, you know, but I, I'm just not like that enthralled by him. So their team up, I thought this movie kind of had a bit of a bland visual style. I was very unclear uh, through the marketing of this movie what this movie was actually about. For all intents and purposes, I felt like when I went into this movie, Josh, that I was going in pretty cold. Um I, I didn't really know what to expect with this one. Yeah, I think also Pixar's track record lately has been not necessarily inconsistent, but it hasn't really met that very high bar that you mentioned. So sometimes you might be going into something and it's like, am I going to see something that is a masterpiece or just going to see something that's pretty good? And if you're a company that has been consistently making masterpieces, pretty good can sometimes be disappointing. Surely. And I think that that's what we're seeing a lot with. Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of like of someone like Steven Spielberg when he mm. makes a movie. It is light years away better than most of the stuff that's being released out there. But we're comparing it to Jaws and Indiana Jones. And it's like you just can't measure up at yeah, a certain point. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I find that we do that with Pixar a lot as well. So onward. I will say, starting off here, that I think that Onward has an extremely creative premise to the point that I was uh, very taken aback uh, by it. I I can honestly say that it didn't feel like any other type of movie that I feel like I've ever seen before, if I'm being very honest with you. Uh, To an extent. I mean, I hate to say it, but at one point watching the movie, I did think, wasn't this bright? <laughs> oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously it's a much better movie than Bright, but it does lift some things kind of similar to that movie. <laughs> well, you know, here's what I could say about that. I wouldn't say it's like a carbon copy of something like that, but no, no, no. it borrows elements from a couple of different movies, not deliberately, but it just makes you think of them while you're watching. So for example, I was thinking a lot about I Lost My Body while watching this. Okay. I, I can yeah, you you can yeah. see where I'm going with that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there are times where I'm thinking of, uh, you know, like the Lord of the Rings because of the fantasy elements. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, oh. And you know what also, too? Zootopia. Oh, yeah. I think that was the big thing that people remarked upon when the movies like marketing first started to come through. Like that was the thing that 
uh, for a lot of people, myself included, sort of seemed like that was the big touchstone mark in terms of what this movie seemed to be referencing. Yeah, no, definitely, for sure. I mean, the question is, do all these pieces, you know, come together to create something that is worthy of being a part of the Pixar canon? And I guess, Josh, uh, we could start off with you. What do you ultimately think of this film in the end? Do you think they, uh, you know, got another hit on their hands or is it a swing and a miss for Pixar? Uh, I ultimately think that it is overall a good movie. Uh, I will say that the first like half of this film, though, I, it was a little touch and go for me. I think it starts kind of in a rough spot, if I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't really think that all the world building they were doing was that interesting. It felt yeah. like it was very sort of surface level and not really going into the deep uh, parts of where this world could be the most interesting. And not only that, but I didn't really find the characters to be all that interesting either. I thought that they were kind of bland and I didn't really have that much of an emotional connection to them or their journey that they were going on. But I will say that there is sort of a moment in the movie where it does start to click for me, where I particularly get invested in that relationship between the brothers and their emotional journey. And there then starts to be some more kind of exciting set pieces that the movie has. And it does start to work on me a little bit more. I don't know if it ever crosses into the territory of like this is one of Pixar's greatest films, but it does eventually get to a point near the end where I am won over by it enough to say that I did like it overall. Yeah, I think my thoughts are very similar to yours, maybe a little bit more enthusiastic, but that could be because I'm at heart truly a fantasy nerd. Um, I'm not. Actually, no, I don't want to downplay it. Yeah, I am a fantasy nerd. Okay, yeah. I'll just I mean, your favorite it. movie is Lord of the Rings. I think. You and, can... and my favorite television show is Game of Thrones. Season 8 be damned. <laughs> yeah, I think you can say it back. <laughs> surely, surely. Um, so for me, you know, when the movie starts off, it's like this world that's inhabited by, you know, um, creatures and magic and spells and wizardry and so on and so forth. And, you know, now um, these creatures, in, in this case, the two lead characters being elves, they're all living in the modern world, uh, a world now where magic doesn't exist but these creatures are still inhabiting. I will admit it is a bit clunky. Uh, I didn't feel like the exposition did a really, really great job of immersing me so much. I also didn't feel like the world building was really um, that great at first. And there was a lot to explore that I felt like was very underdeveloped. So I'm with you, Josh, on the first half being a little, a little rough. I also was, I was touched by this story of two brothers who, one barely old enough to remember, the other one never even met his father before th their father uh, passed away. And I, I was definitely hooked by that emotional core of the story. And then what I found to be the most interesting, the best aspect about this movie is the journey that these two brothers do go on, all in an attempt to reconnect just for one day with their father. And how they have to go on this quest to do so because, uh, like, there's so much exposition here. They try to use a spell to bring him back. It only brings back, like, a lower half of his body, which I'm sure, you know, maybe the mother is happy about. But the, <laughs> the, the kids are not that happy about. <laughs> Needless to say, though, uh, they have to then figure out a way to get this uh, this stone uh, to complete this magic spell, which will bring back the other half of his body. And then they could spend some time with him. And, you know, it's a race against the clock movie as a result of that. And there's just all, all this stuff going on. You know, there, there's so much happening. But by the time we do get to the end of the film, especially, 
uh, you do realize that the development of this journey that the two brothers have been on and the the bond that they do share with one another, I will admit Pixar pulled a bit of a magic trick on me here where the story that I thought I was getting this entire time is not the story that we ended up receiving. And what we got instead was so, so much better because there was such natural character progression and I was really, really bought into the emotional dynamics of the relationship between these two brothers. Yeah, well, that's sort of the thing that the movie's doing is that it's serving you a story that you initially think is going to be about the relationship between these kids and their father. And it's actually about watching the relationship between these brothers. And I agree with you that the brother dynamic is really the heart of the film. And when it kind of really switches focus to that that's when i get really invested in these characters but i think the initial setup of let's have these kids try to bond with their father one last time i just didn't really get into it that much and i think it's because we don't ever see the father before he dies they intentionally keep that kind of shrouded and i think that's an interesting storytelling technique but in terms of me getting invested in their journey with their father in the beginning, it really left me kind of distant. And I think that's one of the reasons why I had a hard time fully getting into the first half of this movie, because it all sort of hinged on this emotional core that I just didn't really feel was there. It's rather intentional, but it's still kind of absent for me. Now, you know, spoiler alert here, I was feeling a certain way about this movie throughout the entire time. I was thinking to myself, okay, this is good. It's not great. It's good. I'm having a good time. Uh, Some of the jokes I thought were pretty clever, and I was laughing a bit here and there. I thought the set pieces were okay. Uh, The visual style of the film was also just okay. I wasn't blown away by it like I was with some of the animation and something like, say, um, even Toy Story 4 last year, which I thought had really stunning animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then by the time we do get to the end of the film... I <laughs> I cried. I did cry. And it was during like a damn montage sequence of all freaking things. And that automatically made me boost up my rating one full point. And I was like, damn you, Pixar. Damn you. <laughs> I mean, I will admit I did get a little misty eyed. But I also sort of feel like given Pixar, who we know can just wallop you emotionally – this one was like, yeah, I mean, it got to me, but I wasn't like crying buckets at it. No, and, no, no. But it, did, I think it was, I think it was more effective than something like the Good Dinosaur, for example. Well, I mean, I cried at the Good Dinosaur too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like Pixar's very good at making me cry. So that's why I kind of like you need to like really bring it if you want me to give you points for that Pixar. <laughs> You're already very good at it. And this movie has it has it has a lot going on, as I said before. There's a lot of references to a lot of other movies in this as well, which is a, a lot of fun, must admit. And, you know, you get, like, these uh, side characters as well. Octavia Spencer uh, playing uh, the Manticore. The as, best uh, performance in the film. Yeah, right? Oh, That was fun. I, I love her, especially watching her as, like, the manager in this diner. I, you know, it's very relatable. I've been in that position before. <laughs> like, trying to manage just chaos around you and trying to keep it together as much as possible. I've found her character not to be so interesting, but just her performance of that role and just having this like manic energy that has to be 
subdued and then just lets like just let it loose. You don't really get to see that too much with Octavia Spencer and the characters that she gets to play. So I really thought that of all the voice performers in the cast, she was by far my favorite. Yeah, and I find it very interesting too that for such a male centric uh, story, uh, her. And Julie Louis-Dreyfus, who plays uh, the two uh, brothers, widowed mother, uh, she – I was very I, I was very impressed with the fact that she didn't get cast aside, that she actually had an active role to play and that she, you know, was a part of the story because I think it could have been very, very easy to not make those two female characters, um, you know, inactive participants here and just keep it focused on the two brothers the entire time. So – I was very, very happy that they were able to do that. Um, I think this whole publicity machine that they're doing with this whole, like, oh, we have our first gay character in a Pixar movie is bullshit. I mean, you saw the movie uh, after that news broke out and they made that announcement. I saw it prior to, but even thinking about it, I was like, that's iffy. I'm just curious to know from your point of view, Josh, uh, like, what did you think of that? Because to me, it just felt like it was so unnoticeable. Uh, it, it is. And it's I would argue it is intentionally unnoticeable because there is a trend I find, especially with some Disney movies that come out where they introduce a character that they say is um, is LGBT. But then they like stick him in the background. They give him like maybe one scene or one line of dialogue that maybe hints at them um being gay but they do that because then it'll be so easy for them to just omit it when they release it into other countries and i find that to be such lip service that in this day and age in 2020 like we're so beyond and the fact that they announced this news after critics had already seen it and no critic before that seemed to mention this at all tells me that it was nothing and that they always meant it to be nothing and it annoys me and it bothers me and i really wish they would stop because it's kind of insulting at this point yeah we, we experienced a similar thing i think with like rise of skywalker uh a few months ago as well where they uh had a scene put in and then it was like taken out and it's like yeah i agree with you that it, it's it tends to be the disney machine lately and um i, I just wish that you know <laughs> I just wish that they would all just stop trying to retroactively, like, fix these issues and just make a movie that confronts these issues head on. Well, and the thing is that if they had said nothing, then probably wouldn't have even thought about it. I Like, I would have been fine with the movie just being what it is. But the fact that they called attention to it and, like, wanted bonus points for that, that was the thing that's almost – like even worse to me. It's like this thing is here and then it's so minimal yet you want the credit for it when you did nothing to really earn it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So the final set piece of the film involves a dragon spoiler alert. Uh, So that made me very happy. And I thought it was also a very uh, ingenious way to incorporate a dragon into the story uh, in a very, uh, because it's not like a full fully like a live dragon per se it's complicated i don't want to get into it spoiler wise but my favorite set piece of the entire movie is actually the bridge sequence yeah well i think that bridge sequence is really the point in the movie where it started to win me over like everything up until that point i i was liking but i wasn't really fully into it it was like yeah this is fine but 
I don't think that this is like being a great movie, but once we get to that sequence, which not only is very well done just in execution, but also is so rooted in emotion and the character development between those two brothers, like it's like it starts this momentum that the rest of the film really carries through with it that it didn't really have in the first half. So yeah, that bridge sequence is great. And it's also the starting point, I think, of the movie kind of growing up and actually really investing in its emotional development between these characters. And that was the thing that I really appreciated. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. And I mean, the thing I always appreciate, too, is when you have an active set piece like that, all the decisions that the characters make are rooted in character, not because the story needs it to happen, but because by by making these decisions, it's actively pushing the characters forward and they're growing or um, maybe for better, maybe for worse, you know, but there is still uh, something that's going on there that is quite interesting to us as uh, as as a viewer. And you can tell that there is real careful consideration paid to the storytelling, which we appreciate at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's always been Pixar's strength is that they are uh, a company that usually knows how to take these very fun movies, but also invest a really great character journey in there, too. And I think that some of the lesser Pixar films have been ones that have not gone through that journey, that don't really put the work into the characters, and that's why we don't really respond to them that much. And I wouldn't say that this one is perfect in that regard, but it does manage to find it, at least in the second half. Yeah, no, totally. And the other thing, too, I also want to mention about this is just the voice uh, performances from Tom Holland and uh, Chris Pratt here, because I, I mentioned at the top of the show that I was a little like shaky on how they would actually perform here. Um, I got to admit, kind of like the story of the movie, I was won over in the end by the vocal performances from Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. I am trying to figure out when, at, at what point exactly, Tom Holland's... Um, 
little boy voice will uh, change because it, it, it just like he sounds like he's going to like stay 15 forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's sort of a <laughs> thought I always have because he does look perpetually like a teenager. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Chris Pratt here is, um, you know, it's fine. He, he does bring a degree of energy to this role of this brother who – you know, it's very, very much, you know, your your local friend who probably plays too much D&D. And for those that don't know what that is, that's Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and I, 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 I know that guy. I know I know people that are that guy, <laughs> which is something that's extremely relatable uh, to me. Uh, but I thought that he did a really, really good job in the end. Uh, it's not like something I would call like a great Chris Pratt performance. I'm not going to put it like in a top 10 or anything like that, but I wasn't annoyed by it. I guess that was like the best thing I could say. Yeah, this is sort of a return to the very boisterous, goofy Chris Pratt that we yes. get a little bit in the Guardians films, but he's meant to be more of like an actual hero in those movies. So you don't really get that persona too much. And I think that he's actually good as that character here. Like you said, it's not like amazing work that he's doing, but it is enjoyable. He does give a good performance. I, I thought that Tom Holland was just fine. I, to be honest yeah. with you, like, I like Tom Holland, but I've never – I mean, recently anyway, I don't really feel like he has ever been that tested as an actor. And I don't think that this is a performance that does that either. He is perfectly suitable, but if you had replaced him with somebody else, they probably could have done just as good of a job. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean there. Oh, and a uh, shout out to John Ratzenberger, who always manages to find a way into a Pixar movie. <laughs> oh, oh, of course. I mean, that, he's their lucky charm. And what's funny is that I wasn't even thinking about like looking out for him. But as soon as that voice comes up, it's like, oh, yeah, that's him. There we go. That, <laughs> exactly. The you know, you're not even looking for it, but it's so recognizable. It's like, oh, yeah, there's the Ratzenberger cameo. Yep. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, another thing, too, I also want to just point out about this movie is – I got to admit, for a film that deals in the fantasy genre and has a lot of emotional moments, I was a little underwhelmed that uh, Michael Dana, who is the Oscar-winning uh, composer for uh, Life of Pi, I was a little, I, I was a little disappointed that 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 score didn't connect with me and didn't stand out as I thought it could have heading into it. So uh, that that was a bit of a bummer for me in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the music is exceptional it works for what the movie needs it to do and i think there's a few cues that are pretty well done but overall like this isn't you know jacchino on up certainly right right and, and that's how i kind of feel about the movie like as a whole in the end is it it all just feels not half baked but it, it seems like it's just giving us um, the bare minimum in terms of what we expect from Pixar, it's not going above and beyond. I think the emotional story, and like I said, that um, <laughs> that kind of a pivot, if you will, when we get to the uh, end of the movie in terms of what the whole film has been about at this point, um, is really, really well done and is the one thing that separates, I think, this film from lower tier Pixar and places it more into the uh, mid tier. Uh, Pixar uh, realm because honestly up until like that point I was ready to like throw this down near the bottom if I'm being completely honest with you so at least now I can say it's like you know it's not Coco it's not I don't know I'm trying to think of like good example you know what everyone's everyone's ranking of Pixar will va vary 
inevitably at the end of the day. So maybe that's a little unfair uh, to kind of like place it somewhere. But would you agree that it's more mid-tier than it is high-tier? Yeah, and I would also agree with you that up until that point, I was ready to place it sort of near the bottom because it just really wasn't connecting with it. And it like it's not actively bad in the first half, but it just didn't really have the stuff that really made an impact on me. And the second half does a lot to save it, not really to the point where it is one of their all timers. But I would agree with you that it is sort of like mid tier, maybe like if it is in the lower class, it's like the upper lower class, like somewhere around in that area where it's a solid effort. It's a good movie, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really do anything to truly make it unique and to truly make it something very special and just so emotional in what it's doing. It's you'll get into it. It's a good movie, but this is also Pixar. And, you know, when you've basically spent all of the 2000s making masterpieces, people are going to look at your movies a little bit, you know, with a very high expectation now. Truly, truly. Uh, So final thoughts, Josh, anything about Onward that we didn't mention that you want to bring up? Um, I do just want to signal that, you know, the the visual style of the film isn't always the most interesting, but I do think it is worth noting that obviously a lot of work goes into creating worlds for animated films, and there is a lot of interesting detail in here. It could be a little bit more realized, I grant you, but there there are some nice designs in, in the movie, and I did appreciate that a lot, especially, like you said, with a lot of like in-jokes that are kind of stuck in the background. There's a lot of good stuff there. It's not the most imaginative that I would have liked to have seen, but there are, there are some things in there that I did really appreciate from a design perspective. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, I also really appreciated were, were the spells, um, where, where the movie at times does feel a little bland and flat. Uh, there are scenes where, uh, these spells that either go right or they go wrong, help to make the film feel more dynamic, especially when, um, barley gets like shrunk down, to a smaller size. Um, I, I thought that was very fun. And then they're um, having to deal with the motorcycle gang fairies, I guess. I, I <laughs> Yeah. It was very ridiculous. But I, I liked the use of the spells in this movie a lot. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that I would just say is as uh, somebody who has a child who the only movie monster they were ever afraid of was the blob, uh I'm just going to say that the gelatinous cube brought back some PTSD <laughs> memories for me. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, and another thing, too, I also want to bring up as a final thought here is Mel Rodriguez as Colt Bronco, the centaur <laughs> police officer, is – I don't know why, but I found that character to be so funny to me. <laughs> I, I just everything about that character like the neighing and everything just oh my god i was cracking up um and then uh oh yeah and i, I also want to mention too i don't remember what the name of the car is was it called the beast um the, 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 the truck that he drives yeah uh it was guinevere guinevere wow where did i get the beast from i don't know <laughs> i don't know you know what? that's probably another uh movie reference to a, something else that i can't remember right now but anyway guinevere um great sequence involving uh a canyon uh where uh you know where barley has to like make a decision about the about the the, the truck very good stuff there good yeah, stuff yeah i was i was really really enjoying it like i said the, what the second half of this movie is pretty damn good i i i cannot 
cannot fault the second half of this movie at all. I think it I think it checks off all the right boxes, does all the right things. Now the question is, Josh, as we're at the end here, what is the grade out of 10? Does this film have any Oscar potential? Where are we at? I think that my grade is going to be a 7 out of 10. It was probably going to be a 6 as I was watching most of the film, but the second half really did a lot to save it for me. And, you know, 7 out of 10, that's like a good movie. It's not a great one for me, and that's how I feel about this film. It's nowhere near the upper echelon of Pixar's movies, but it's very, I think, safely far away from the bottom. It's it's solid. And sometimes, even for Pixar, that's all that you really need. And I think as far as the Oscar potential goes, it's just going to be animated feature. I don't really see this getting into writing or um, score or any of the sounds. I kind of feel like it's just going to be animated feature or bust. Yeah, I actually think that you know, like, for example, if it was uh, last year, I think that this would have probably gotten in the lineup. Would it have? I don't know. Frozen 2 missed last year, so who knows with that category anymore. Hey, maybe you're right about that. Yeah, true, true. Okay. So, I don't know. Like, do we – could this be the year where Pixar gets two uh, nominees? That's the, that's the real question. I, I don't think so. My gut says no. Um I mean, all due respect to the people who worked on Onward. I'm sure they're very talented, obviously, and, you know, they deserve a lot of respect. But I feel like it's a very easy thing to say that this is the B team of Pixar that worked on this film. And when you got the Pete Doctor film coming out later, I think that's going to be the one they're going to put most of their attention behind. I don't like that, that that's become a trend for them now when they release two films in a year that we are so – easily able to identify which one is the B movie and which one's clearly the A movie. It almost makes me uh, want to have a scenario where, uh, kind of like with Disney, where they uh, had their A team working on Pocahontas and their B team on Lion King to have a bit of a, uh, you know, surprise there where the B movie actually ends up becoming the one that uh, gets, you know, more claim, is more fully remembered, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of sucks that that is the perception, but, you know, the Pete Doctor film, you just have to assume that that's probably going to get more of a push from them. And, I mean, it comes out super soon. It comes out in June. Yeah, which is the when Inside Out was released, too. Another Pete Doctor film. Yeah, I, I do think Onward has a chance to get lost in the shuffle. If it's a weak year, I could see a world where they both do get in because I do think that Onward for a lot of people will have a strong emotional connection, especially for anyone that grew up with a single parent or has a strong uh, relationship with their brother. I, I could definitely see that you know happening. But if it's a very, very competitive and strong year uh, and Soul lives up to expectations, FYI, and it doesn't bomb by any means – then I I think that you know, yeah I, I think I think onward will be moving onward to uh, <laughs> away from the animated feature category. <laughs> I mean, you can never count out Pixar in this category. You know that you should always keep that in the back of your mind. But I do just think with them having another movie yet that we assume. I mean, granted, it's an assumption, but we can assume probably we'll get more attention from them. Plus, we don't know what the rest of the animated field is going to be like. There are more art house contenders that will come out that probably won't win, but they'll be competitive to take up slots. You just do wonder, like you said, if Onward will just get lost in the shuffle once we get closer to the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pixar hit a bit of a rough patch for a couple of years in the aftermath of Toy Story 3, uh, where a lot of their movies uh, 
Well, actually, no. It was kind of like every other one, actually, now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it. I would say, like, Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3. That's where it was. Like, and then Monsters University was, like, shoved in there somewhere. Um, but you know what? That's good. Not every single one of their movies needs to be this gigantic you know, film that is like life changing, you know, but like it just, it, it doesn't have to be. And that's, that's quite okay. That's quite okay. <laughs> yeah. It just, unfortunately, when you make like four or five of those types of movies in a row, then people think that that's the only type of movie that you're going to make. Yeah. Like, Oh, you, we lost our step a little bit here. I will say this. I, I definitely like onward more than monsters university, which was Dan Scanlon's uh, last Pixar effort. So there's that. Yeah, which I didn't hate. I maybe no, I, I don't hate it either. I just, I just prefer, I just prefer Twenty Two Jump Street more. Yeah, I think I just <laughs> went into that movie with very low expectations. That probably helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's fine. Maybe that's the way we got to appre- uh, approach all Pixar movies nowadays. Is just head in with low expectations because at the end of the day, it's like, like I said, you can't expect that you're going to get something along the lines of a Wally every single time you go into a Pixar movie nowadays. And maybe that's the best way to enjoy them, actually. Because if you do go in expecting that, I think you're going to be disappointed more times than you're going to be surprised. And who wants to feel that way? True. <laughs> so, all right, Josh, uh, that'll do it for our review of Onward here today. Oh, uh, we, uh, yeah. We didn't, uh, you didn't say what your grade was. Oh, gotcha. Jesus, I almost got away scot-free. While watching this movie, I was at a seven the whole time. Uh, When the tears came, I got bumped up to an eight because that's that's my silly rule. If you make me cry, I automatically give you one extra point. So there you go. I, and it's interesting too, because like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I'm kind of with you more along those lines, Josh, where I'm like, nah, it's really a seven. It really is a seven. It is. But, I can't deny that if the movie does ever make me cry, it's obviously working. Yeah. I mean, that's your rule, Matt. You got to stick to your rule. Yeah, yeah. Man's got to have a code, yep. right? <laughs> All righty. So now we're going to do the out- outro and move onward uh, with the rest of our lives here. Josh, thank you so much for reviewing Onward with me. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Onward here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.